insurance, insurance, insurance. It's all fun and games till you need it. I've known Lee Rogers, president of Real Protect for a while. He and his team are the absolute pros for real estate investors. They get our space. Take a guess at how many billion dollar plus weather event disasters happen in the US each year. It is absolutely crazy. Listen to hear that and a ton of other metrics around insurance. Thanks for listening. You're listening to the Real Estate of Things podcast. Welcome to the Real Estate of Things podcast. I'm your host, Dalton Elliott. I'm joined today by Lee Rogers, president of Real Protect. Lee, thank you for joining. Oh, thanks. Thanks, Dalton. I appreciate the opportunity and uh, excited to join you. You and I saw each other on the road not too long ago. We were in Nashville for the IMN Build to Rent conference, which was a blast. I have never heard of a single person who went to Nashville and had a bad time. <laughs> <laughs> no, Nashville's, Nashville is definitely a, a great town and a, a great town to visit. Not you know, A great town for real estate investors right now as well that are building for rent and also with existing inventory of real Real, real exciting time in the area. Yeah, it is booming. And so you're in the insurance side of the space. So before we kick it off, I want I want yep. the audience to know a bit about your background. So give me the Lee Rogers story. And then I want to dive into kind of some weather and disaster related insurance talk. I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, just a little bit about me. I am a graduate of the University of Georgia. So go dogs. We're uh, riding high this year after our national championship in football, not so much after basketball all this is we're recording this in March and we've had our, our worst <laughs> basketball season in the history of, uh, of the University of Georgia and actually I think the SEC but uh, avid University of Georgia fan and I've been in the insurance business now for about 24 years we started real protect about eight years ago in response to this emerging opportunity that uh, that we saw in the market to work with residential real estate investors we saw that it was an underserved part of the insurance market and a real opportunity for us to enter this space and to take some expertise that we had, not only uh, in the real estate world, but also in the insurance industry and our insurance background and marry the two. And so uh, we have been working exclusively with residential real estate investors for the last eight years. We write insurance in all 50 states. We have clients in about 14 different countries, and we're super excited that we work get to work with you know folks like you and Lima One, to provide you know, loan compliant and industry leading insurance uh, to your borrowers. And we do it day in and day out. It's our passion. It's what we love to do. We've seen a ton of change uh, over, the, uh, over the last several years, and that's really been accelerated the last few years with everything that's been going on in the world. And so excited to to be a part of such a dynamic and ever growing and ever changing industry. Yeah, I it just clicked in my head. Usually I wait till the end to, uh, to kind of highlight the guest company if they have kind of a service they provide. But I really want to start off mm -hmm. by highlighting the fact that you and the team at Real Protect get the real estate investor business. We work with you and the team on a loan level basis, probably almost daily yep. across a bunch of different products that we have. And, you know, we run into investors oftentimes who reach out to their normal insurance provider, whoever they have their homeowner's insurance through. And it's kind of like, it's just our space, right? When you look at us versus the forward mortgage side of the space, yes, they're mortgages, but they are very nuanced and very different in a lot of regards. And the same thing goes for insurance and you and the team 
10 out of 10, hit the nail on the head. You're super responsive too. That's another thing that tough sometimes, but you're responsive, you get real estate investors. So I'm going to move the the tail end up to the front. And and if anybody wants to get in touch with Real Protect, is it realprotect.com? That's it. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And listen, we, we, we appreciate that very much, but we also come from a place of knowing that most folks have an insurance relationship. And they're a lot of times dealing with us because we're the recommendation of you guys as a lender. And every project that we insure, whether it's a fix and flip, whether it's a long-term buy and hold, whether it's a short-term rental, whether it's a multifamily property, some mixed use, everything that we do, we know is unique, just like every investor. And so we really try to find out as much as we can about the project. We want to provide a very competitively priced product that's going to help get the loan closed, but also provide that protection. And, and, and what I mean by competitively priced, what I didn't say was the least expensive. We always want to be competitive because we know folks are price sensitive. But I have a saying around here, my folks will tell you, they've heard me say it several times, is your insurance can be either really cheap on the front end or the back end. Now, ideally, you, you, you want to make sure that it's competitively priced, but we don't want to, the most expensive time to have cheap insurance is on the back end after a claim. And we try to avoid that at all costs. But, you know, we, we, we really want to take the approach as a counselor, not just a product provider, right? Because yeah. nobody really gives too much thought about their insurance until they have a claim. And, and then at that point, sometimes that's when, you know, really folks pay attention to what those policies say, whether or not we sold it or somebody else sold it. A lot of folks have learned some really expensive lessons, insurance lessons after a claim. So we try to, we try to provide what we, uh, you know, everything, industry leading coverage and, and competitive pricing on the front end uh, so that everybody's happy, uh, especially in the event of that claim. Yeah, that, that's very sage advice. Yeah, you not not the area that you want to look to go with the absolute cheapest option. It is something that you don't think about unless you actually need it in a lot of cases and putting a little bit of thought into what if could serve everybody well. And speaking of what if, whenever COVID hit, we had some record rainfall that had just happened in February 2020 in upstate South Carolina, mm-hmm. where I am. Yep. We had some like six inches of rain in a day. And we had a couple of months in the first half of 2020, I think three, two or three months in the first half of 2020 ended up being top 10 record rainfall months for the area. And so I, I started to go down a weather rabbit hole, just had some more time on my hands yep. because we were in lockdown and was just curious, like what is happening? Why is it happening? You know, you, you hear about, you know, low pressure system, high pressure system, keep on unpacking. So went down a weather rabbit hole and with that, you know, disasters, right? And I feel like if you, you turn on the TV, you see, any day of the week, it feels like you see, you know, forest fires, floods, record rainfall, hurricane seasons getting worse and worse, both in uh, number of hurricanes and in magnitude of damage and strength of hurricanes, tornadoes, right? Like 10 years ago, when I moved up to the upstate, I'm originally from the coast. So I dealt with hurricanes growing up, got pretty comfortable with, you know, how you deal with a hurricane. And then came up here and 10 years ago, like tornadoes weren't really a thing, but I feel like they're creeping more and more into our neck of the woods. And you're not terribly far from us, right? You're in Northeast Georgia. Yeah, we're just outside of Atlanta. Yeah. So we're in the Atlanta market. Yeah. Yeah. So definitely in really, you know, we, we get our fair number of tornadoes in the Southeast, but really we see a lot of those 
events across the Midwest as well. But mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. There are more and more severe weather events that have been occurring over the last several years. And without getting political or, or trying to figure out like, you know, what folks really think about climate change or global warming or whatever the the term is, the, the, the fact is that there are more and more events. Now, what's causing it or what to, how to politically handle that, that's, that's another issue for another day. But I can tell you that the insurance industry is having to pick up the tab for a lot of these, uh, a lot of these events, uh, and that, and those events that are not that that still occur in any widespread event, you're you're going to hear a couple of numbers. You're going to ha- you're going to hear kind of the total cost of the event, and then for us in the insurance world, we kind of hear the numbers of what's the insured value of the event because not everything, as you know, is going to be insured. You mentioned uh, some six six inch you know record rainfalls. A few years ago, well, that likely led to the flooding of some properties that don't have flood insurance because they're not mapped into a flood zone. Every property in the United States theoretically could have flood damage, right? Typically, a borrower is forced to buy flood insurance when their property is mapped into a flood zone. But when you have events that are widespread like that, and really those, the, the problem is you hear have, you hear about these one in a hundred or one in five hundred year events that are happening every other year now. And so mm-hmm. you probably have a lot of borrowers that either personally or professionally have experienced some sort of loss that may not have been insured. Um, and in a lot of these events, we'll hear about you know, the, the, the total amount of loss versus the insured amount of the loss. And there's other programs to help those investors or those homeowners in that situation. But it also, if you think about it, also creates opportunity for investors to come in when folks are trying to get rid of those properties because they may not have the capital to to repair them because they maybe weren't insured or insured properly. And so there's, you know, you, you hate to you hate to think about these widespread events as being opportunities, but real estate investors are nothing if not um, oppor- opportunistic in general because they're always out looking for the inventory and really feeling that right now, right? Because we were in Nashville at a build for rent conference. We were talking about folks creating that inventory. So mm-hmm. lots of widespread disaster events. I know that's something we wanted to talk about here. I can get into a little bit of the data there. Since 1980, there have been 310 disasters in the United States that were billion dollar or more disasters. That's that that threshold. That doesn't mean insured value, but that's that's that 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 threshold. So 310, which is an average of 7.4 disasters a year. And those things are things like drought, flooding, freezing, severe convective storm like your, your you know, severe um, hailstorms, thunderstorms, mm-hmm. tornadoes, tropical cyclones, that's your your hurricanes, wildfire, and winter storm. So 7.4 per year. In 2021, there were 20 separate billion-dollar events in the United States. So triple the 40-year average in, in 2021 of those billion-dollar events that fall into one of those categories. And again, so whether whether you agree with how the government responds to climate change, more and more severe events are occurring. Now, part of that, too, is we're a more populated country. So there's more property on the ground than there used to be in 1980. But there's so there's more occasion for there to be a a billion dollar event. And the other thing, too, is what what the, the other factor, one of the things that that we've really seen, too, is building materials are more expensive. There's a shortage of labor. So you've got lots of factors that are driving up the cost on these things. But again, 
folks don't think about it. A lot of folks say, well, I'll just file an insurance claim and let the insurance company pay for it. Yes, that's what you pay for. But in the, in the big picture, the insurance industry's response to all that is going to be that there's going to be probably some rising rates. And whether you have an event that occurs at a wildfire in California or a hurricane in the Southeast, those events, eventually that catches up to the entire industry and ultimately what your borrowers and our clients pay. So it's always a much more difficult conversation because I would venture to say most folks listening to this podcast having experienced some increased insurance costs. So lots of, lots of, lot more events, something to pay attention to. And I can really go down the rabbit hole of some of the whys as well, because every single insurance company that writes insurance, whether it's in the investor space or not, they go out Mm -hmm. and they buy reinsurance. And so what that means is you may have a policy and I'm going to use State Farm because everybody's heard of State Farm, right? But Mm -hmm. a, a company like State Farm, they're going to go out and buy reinsurance in certain parts of the country. And they, as State Farm, are going to take on the first X number of dollars, say $10 million or $50 million of loss in an area. And then the reinsurance company is going to come in and take that over and above. And an insurance company like State Farm is going to build that into the rate they charge their consumer. Well, when reinsurance has to, has to pay out, then that means every year when State Farm or any insurance company goes to renegotiate what they have to buy, their reinsurance costs Mm -hmm. go up, then they're going to pass that along. So eventually these worldwide catastrophic events catch up to the man or woman on the street that's buying insurance at a one-off basis. So these events that happen, the the nuclear meltdown at the Japanese uh, nuclear plant several years ago, huge global reinsurance event. Things that happen in Australia, wildfires in Australia from a few years ago. All those things, the global insurance market is all reinsured. And when reinsurance costs go up, it affects everybody. It just may take a few years. That's really interesting. So you could be at the top of the tallest mountain that doesn't get any rainfall or just gets enough rainfall, you know, the perfect conditions. And doesn't matter. You're still kind of swept up in eventually a trail that leads back to global insurance and, you know, a nuclear disaster in Japan will eventually affect you. That's, that's, that's pretty interesting. I always have thought of it as much more localized than that. Yeah. It's truly a global business. It really is because most insurers, most domestic United States insurers are buying reinsurance from one of a handful of global reinsurers. AIG is one, Munich Re, Swiss Re. A lot of these global reinsurers are insuring things really across across the globe or for domestic United States based insurers. And so when their costs go up, they're gonna they're gonna pass those costs along. Because insurance companies, as everybody knows, they're not in it. Uh, they're in it for a profit and they're gonna underwrite to right. that profit. And eventually you know, you're going to have some good years and bad years. We'd seen some kind of decrease in some of the numbers, global events. 2017 was a really active year. You had Hurricane Harvey and Irma and those things, and we'd seen a little bit of a dip. But the last couple of years, we've seen a really big increase in those kind of global disasters that are occurring. So, Yeah, I let, let's unpack the flood one as an example, because you mentioned uh, like just taking the Greenville example, and I, I ended up getting flood insurance for my home shortly after, well, I guess a couple months in, we crossed our annual average total rainfall amount by, I think it was May of 2020. Mm-hmm. Like we had had from January to May as much rain as we normally have in a whole calendar year. And we ended up at the very end of the year, double the normal rainfall rate. So the soil was just 
soggy the whole year and it didn't take a ton of rain to get, you know, roads flooding and all kinds of nightmares. But then it was, it was mid-year that year when I was like just poked around about flood insurance because growing up, we always had flood insurance. We were anywhere from 100 yards to, you know, two miles inland off the coast. So close enough that you're in the hurricane zone. I grew up just south of Myrtle Beach yep. in Myrtle's Inlet. So yeah, you think about flooding there and you see the effects of it. But whenever yep. I came up here, I was like, ah, we're in the mountains. You know, hurricanes will just be some bad rain if it hits us up here. But the, you know, the hurricanes up here, knock on wood, I'm sure it'll happen, but haven't been that terrible in the time I've been up here. It's just the crazy rainfall events and days and days of rain. And that causes... You know, even in Greenville, South Carolina, like like borderline catastrophic flooding all over. So how do you, uh, and I guess when I went to go get flood insurance, it was like, it's like 500 bucks a year to insure against just something horrific that could happen. And even, you know, if you end up paying 500 bucks a year for 20 years and nothing happens, that's some good peace of mind, at least for me, it helps me helps me sleep better. But how do you, you know, especially from a real estate investor side, if you're an active investor, how do you consult folks? And I'm sure it's case by case, but just philosophically, you know, you can insure against so many things above and beyond just a standard policy. So uh, talk to me about what the consultation looks like there. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things I always really push for investors to, to use as a tool when they're evaluating a property of whether they want to invest in it is to check the flood zone because you've kind of hit the nail on the head. I mean, you know, every property in the United States is in a flood zone. Now, whether or not it's a flood zone that where a lender is going to require you to purchase flood insurance is to be determined. Most properties in the United States are in what's called a flood zone X, which means it's not in the one in 100 year floodplain. Then, a lot of, you know, there are properties that are in a, what's called an A zone and there's a A prefix and then several, you know, several variations of the A zone. But if it's in an A zone, then typically that the lender is going to require that you buy flood insurance. Now, flood, flood is real, uh, is turned into a bit of a political issue as well because the National Flood Insurance Program has been around since the early 70s. And throughout the last, you know, 50 years or so, you've had more and more to where now pretty much every community in the United States participates in the National Flood Insurance Program. And what that means is, is that new construction is going to be built to federal standards. And if it's a property that's in a flood zone, then the property will be built at least a foot above uh, what's called the base flood elevation of that community. However, with some of the act changes, and now every time you hear about the, the federal government shutting down for lack of funding, and that happened, I think, a few years ago, the National Flood Insurance mm-hmm. Program is part of that. So a lot of times when that happens, then theoretically lending would shut down too if you've got a property that's in a flood zone because the ability for a borrower to buy flood insurance from the NFIP is, is not supported. Although I will say in the recent years, there's been more and more private flood insurers that have entered into the market. Um, But what I would say for investors to really kind of think about as well is if you do buy a property in a flood zone, you really want to check a couple of things. One, what's the cost of that flood insurance? Because I mentioned flood insurance has gotten a little bit political in the sense that the NFIP has been subsidized for forever. It's never really been an underwriting profit. It's not priced to be a profitable insurance for the federal government. And so these taxpayers essentially have, have subsidized it forever. 
And so a few years ago, Congress said, well, we're going to start charging actuarially sound rates on flood insurance, what it will cost for this program to be profitable. And once that law went into effect, the, the, the intended consequence was that folks were seeing flood insurance rates really, really go sky high in certain areas. For example, New Orleans. New Orleans is below sea level. And, and Congress said, we're going to charge folks in New Orleans what it really ought to cost for it to be profitable. Well, there was a really large political outcry from that because it's like, mm-hmm. hey, now wait a minute, we need more time, even though there had been plenty of time given for notices and that sort of thing. But when the, the actual consequences were felt, Congress backed off and, and kind of backed off of that a little bit and, and, and eased some of the pricing. However, they've kind of slowly eased back into some of that over the last several years. And so if an investor owns a property in a flood zone, I would argue that that property sitting right beside another property that's not in a flood zone where flood insurance is going to be required. Now, whether or not it's a good idea to buy it, I think it's always a good idea to protect yourself because flood's apparel that's excluded under a standard policy. But if you got these two properties side by side, one's in a flood zone and one's not, the one that's not in a flood zone is worth inherently more than the one that is because we've seen some flood insurance now that it's being charged actuarially sound rates in certain parts of the country and for certain types of property be six, seven, eight thousand dollars a year. Well, if you're selling that to another investor and they've got eight thousand more dollars in flood insurance expense, or to a homeowner that's now got eight thousand more dollars in homeowner's insurance expense or flood insurance expense, they don't have an option but to offer you less money for that property. So I think it's a really important factor for folks to look at when you see like what zone is this property in? And we see folks, we see sometimes in these bulk purchases or sales too, a lot of funds or investors, or they try to off, offload some of their flood insurance properties because insurance costs are going up. Now, the good news is, is you know we're seeing more and more private insurers that are entering the space that are writing insurance for what they call NFIP compliant flood insurance that takes the place okay. of an NFIP policy that creates some competition and hopefully some lower prices. So all, you know, I would say to any of your listeners uh, or viewers is that, you know, establish a good relationship, whether it's with Real Protect, we'd love to work with you or your, your current insurer. And when you're looking at those properties, have them see, see if they'll run a, a flood insurance, uh, what's called a flood zone determination for that property. You can also go to FEMA.gov and uh, there's some tools there where you can help determine what, what flood zone your property's in. Yeah, you mentioned that flood is one of the disasters that's yep. excluded. What did you say not a cover excluded yep. peril? Yep. Right. What are some of the other common excluded perils? Because I didn't that's another thing is I didn't even think about, you know, I thought flood insurance was kind of a coastal thing and then came up here and I was like, well, if it floods because of rain or something, then that's fine, but absolutely not the case. Yeah. Yeah. So when I actually started digging through my insurance policy, I'm like, oh gosh, like there's, there's a lot here to, to unpack and really understand and make some more decisions off of it. So what are some other common ones? Earthquake is one is a really, is a, is a common exclusion that's not covered. So earthquake would be uh, in, in certain areas of the country, if you wanted to have earthquake coverage, that would be a separate policy you would need to need to buy and consider. War. So, you know, something that we haven't really thought about really too much. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of global events going on. And while uh, hopefully it won't affect folks here that own property in the United States, that's a, a common uh, exclusion that's under policy. So most of the policies that we work with are going to be what are called special perils or all all risk policy, which means 
it's covered unless it's specifically excluded. And there are certain ex- certain things that are intentional acts, arson, things like that that are that are going to be excluded under an insurance policy. But but yeah, flood and quake would be kind of the two biggest you know perils that folks think well kind of this that widespread disaster that could be really devastating to a community. Got it. Got it. And in terms of total loss, right? Like mm-hmm. what's what's the biggest behemoth? Every year, does it shift between you know earthquakes, tornadoes, fires, floods? Like, is there is there one that just always happens to be at or near the top of the list? Yeah, I mean, you know, the two most common are going to be hurricane, and we're seeing you know in California, wildfires are a really big deal. Every part of the country has their own list of of perils. It seems mm-hmm. like that can really affect. But then you get these unexpected events, right? So, like last year in twenty twenty one. There was the widespread freezing event that occurred down in Texas where you had temperatures that plummeted even down as far south as Houston, where they're in the teens and 20s and you have frozen pipes and you have all these things that houses weren't built to withstand that. We just had pipes bursting all over the place. And so uh, every part of the country, though, has some of their unique disasters, so to speak, that that really could that face that area. You know, again, we alluded a little bit to it. Wildfire in California, we see a lot of wind and hail come across the Midwest in the Southeast, and we see a lot of tropical cyclone or, or hurricanes that come through the Gulf or up the East Coast. We've seen those those hurricanes get farther and farther north over the last several years as well. And so we're just seeing, again, kind of along those same lines as what's different now are those disasters. We're seeing a lot more we're seeing a lot more of those events occur in different parts of the country, freezing in Texas, hurricane in New York, just things that traditionally haven't happened historically, but that are now starting to happen. Yeah. Lions and tigers and bears. Oh my. Doesn't yeah. seem like you can hide anywhere. Something, something's lurking around the corner. Yeah. Well, so. and I like to say I'm a, I'm a, I'm an optimist by nature, but I'm a paid pessimist. So, you know, and that is part of, <laughs> that's, that's part of what, um, you know, what, what we face in the insurance, in the insurance industry, right? What are the things, what are the bad things that can happen? And, and, and I'll say this too, you know, what, when folks think about insurance, a lot of the times they think about property, right? I have this house, I have this building mm-hmm. and what's going to, what bad's going to happen. What I would also tell folks to really, really consider and to, to think about is, the other part of insurance is liability insurance. And that is when you as the owner of the property are legally liable to a third party for property damage or uh, bodily injury to someone else. And so liability, I would argue a lot of the times is much, much as important or more important for an investor to really pay attention to and to make sure that they've got proper liability insurance in place and a liability policy that's going to respond in the event that they that someone does suffer a a property damage or a property damage or bodily injury claim on one of their properties. That is a good call. That definitely seems like the more litigious big question mark on what the liability is in something like that yeah. versus, you know, bodily injury versus a structure where you can break out an Excel sheet and know what the damage yeah. is. Uh, you get into that side of the fence and it gets uh, much dicier. So Absolutely. that's a that's a good call out too. Yeah. Especially when even, you know, there's things too, and, and, and I know we're, we don't have all day because I could talk about this all day, but there's things too. If you're a real estate investor that you're you know doing a lot of fix and flip work, well, are you your own general contractor or are you hiring out a third party general contractor? So there's some non-insurance risk management things that folks can do as well to protect themselves and their assets. And ultimately, you know, you guys as the lender in the event that depending on what type of project it is and 
what type of property it is as well. You know, so, hey, if you hire a general contractor and there's somebody injured in relation to the contracting work, ideally, you would want that contractor's insurance to respond in the event of a claim that you're sued, right? And so there's lots of things that investors can do to protect themselves. And they're really not that difficult, but it's a matter of making sure that you've got an insured contract or you've got a, a contract. That contract Mm -hmm. gives you rights to be listed on that contractor's insurance policy. Because in the event of a claim, whether it's a property damage claim or a liability claim, typically the first thing an insurance adjuster is going to want to ask, they're going to want to inspect the property, but they're going to want to take a look at leases, contracts with property management companies. They're going to want to take a look at contracts with general contractors. And they're going to want to figure out all those things to protect their client, which typically is your borrower, and to make sure that their interests are, are protected in the event that there is another party at fault, particularly. Yeah, that is a lot. Definitely the the message I'm getting from all this is don't let insurance be just a mail it in, check the box thing. Like you need to think yeah. about it just as deeply as any other part of your livelihood, your real estate investing, a line item on a budget. Like definitely peel back the layer a little bit and assess that risk. And and let me say this, Dalton. I mean, it's, you know, folks spend an an enormous amount of money on attorneys and accountants. And I'm not saying that insurance is, uh, you know, insurance agents are of the same, that we're as smart as insurance agents or accountants or as attorneys and accountants. But you do all these things to protect your assets. You do all the, you create LLCs, you do all these things. And you need to make sure that your insurance program is following what you've set up, whether it's from an accounting perspective or whether it's from a legal perspective, because you do all that work and you want to make sure, I mean, think about what's insurance, right? I mean, like when you, when you go to, if you were to sit in a class, insurance is the transfer of risk. Okay. You're taking your dollars and transferring your risk to an insurance company. Okay. And so folks spend a lot of money to transfer risk by taking this property out of their personal name and into an LLC. I mean, you guys, a lot of times mm-hmm. require it as a lender yeah. It, or there's, they're spending all this money, you know, with an accountant to figure out ways to save money. And so insurance, while we don't need to be part of that structure, we need to know what that, what the goal is of the legal and the accounting so that we can structure the insurance to respond and help either transfer that risk, or there may again be some, what we do is not just insurance, right? It's insurance and risk management. So if, what are some non-insurance ways that you can help manage that risk? And that's where a good agent or a good broker that deals with real estate investors a lot can really help uh, your borrowers think about themselves, not necessarily as just a, a single real estate investor, but they're a person that's in the business of real estate investing, right? They are in this business. Right. Some folks are in it full-time, some folks are in it part-time, but that doesn't change the exposures that everybody has. It, you know, yeah. we see, I always ask investors, do you have a property manager? And they'll say, no, I, I, no, I do it myself. Okay, well, you actually, you do have a property manager yourself. And so you can get just yeah. as sued as a professional property manager. So you've got to be really, really careful, especially in today's litigious environment. Very true. Yeah, absolutely litigious. And uh, you heard it from Lee Rogers. Go transfer all of your risk to Lee Rogers and Real Protect. I'm going to do it as soon as I hop off here. <laughs> no. Hey, Lee, we're going to have to have you back on uh, hurricane season. Yeah, I love it. We're going to unpack it. But thank you so much for taking some time to chat with me here. Absolutely insightful. Realprotect.com. Check it out. Uh, Lee, thank you. And I look forward to seeing you on the road. Absolutely. I am sure... 
within the next couple months. We'll be in Miami in a, a month or so, uh, about a month and a half, right before hurricane season. So uh, we'll we'll do some market research. How about that? Beautiful. I'll be there with you, my friend. All right. Thanks, Dalton. All right. Thanks, Lee. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Take care. All right. Thank you. Are you a real estate investor looking for the right lender that can finance all your deals and help you scale? Lima One Capital has the best suite of loan products in the industry, bar none. Whether that's fix and flips, fix and holds, building new construction, or buying rental properties, they have incredible financing solutions for it all. A reliable, common sense lender is one of the most important parts of your investment team. And that's exactly what you get with Lima One. Let Lima One Capital show you how they've helped thousands of real estate investors scale and increase their wealth. Check out LimaOne.com or call 800-259-0595 to speak with a consultant in preparation for your next project. Thank you for joining us today on the Real Estate of Things podcast. Subscribe and tune in weekly for new content from the industry's best while we continue to unpack the nuances of this dynamic market. Follow us across social media for additional insights and analysis on the topics covered in each episode. And remember to rate, review, and share the show.